<laughs> uh, thank you. It's great to be clapped before you've said anything. <laughs> uh, can I ask you, if you're able, could you stand? I just want to pray for us as we come to the Word. It's been a wonderful time of worship, hasn't it? Don't you think? And ending in that, just bowing before God, whether you did it physically or you're doing it in your heart, the fact is we bow before the King of Kings this morning and we want to hear what he has to say, don't we? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you and we love it when you speak to us. Nothing sounds better than when you speak to us. We want your word this morning so much. We're hungry for it. We want to be changed. We don't want to just carry on plateauing in our lives. We want to take off this morning. Lord, thank you for the worship, the way you entered that worship and, and welcomed us into your presence. As we come to your word, may we be welcomed into the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Please uh, have a seat. And we're going to turn straight away to uh, Exodus chapter 18. And uh, uh, it, it is, as Simon said, it's a very apt passage uh, because it's about the father-in-law coming. Um, and we didn't make any agreements beforehand, which is even better. Um, and let's read it together uh, and then we'll, we'll go through it together. We're also going to read from Hebrews chapter 11 where we get a faith summary of Moses' life, but it's very relevant to this passage, okay? So uh, Exodus 18, verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down. Sigh. He bowed down. <laughs> you, can, you don't have to do the next bit, though, and kissed him. I said, I don't want that. And, and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law, all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jephro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jephro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people 
And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this? that you're doing for the people. Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they've had a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate bribery, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. We're going to turn to Hebrews 11 as well. But I want us to note about this passage, it's a milestone passage in the life of Moses. Moses' final stage of his journey, his, his, his journey can be split into three, uh, 40 years. He spent 40 years thinking he was a real somebody. <laughs> he was brought up in the house of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was considered to be God. He was like a, a stepson to Pharaoh. Anything he wanted, he could click his fingers and he had it. He thought he was a real somebody. And then one day he realized he was a nobody. As he uh, entered into a conflict and realized that nobody was on his side. And he had to flee from Egypt. And he spent 40 years as a nobody, looking after cattle and sheep. 40 years thinking he was a somebody. 40 years realizing I'm a nobody. And then he met God. At this place where they're now coming to. They're just coming to the place. They're just one step away from the place where he had met God after 40 years of being a nobody. And God said to him, take off your feet. This is holy ground. You're a somebody again. 
but you're going to serve everybody. And at that place where he, he met God and he fought with God really, didn't he? He argued with God. Even at the, when he'd run out of arguments, he said to God, please choose somebody else. That was a real sign that he'd realized he was a nobody, by the way. That was a real source of his humility before God. His arrogance that he'd learned for the first 40 years was dashed away. When he met with the living God, when he met with the Lord, and then in the, in the final section, is somebody who's going to lead everybody. Somebody who's going to lead and serve everybody. So I want to see uh, that summary of his faith summary in Hebrews 11, because it's, it's relevant to what we're looking at. And let's just look at verse 13, Hebrews 11, 13, where we look at this summary of Moses again. It says, these all died in faith, talking about the people of faith, the warriors of faith, this hall of fame, as someone has called it. Uh, these people, these outstanding people in the history, actually the history, our history, these people who walked with God, and it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them or welcomed them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, nomads. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of the land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire, think of Moses here, a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, verse 23, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful or anointed or Chosen, it's a hard word to, to sum up in that phrase. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, age 40, by the way, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Look at this, grab this. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Wow! For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Wow, what a summary of his uh, faith life. We're going, to, uh, we're going to look at this passage and a bit of background to, be, to begin with. Um, there's a, a cultural aspect we need to get hold of in, in Exodus chapter 18 because we're quite a long way from the culture that they, they were in. You see, the greatest gift that, uh, that Jethro could actually give to anybody was his daughter, Zipporah. And he'd given that greatest gift to, uh, to Moses. I'm feeling very emotional as I say it. Because <laughs> it is the greatest gift that you could receive from uh, Sue and I uh, to be given Anna. And, uh, and, and we can lose that in our culture. But, 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 but you know, in, in this culture, that was recognized. Moses bowed down. 
Moses kissed him. He was, he was so grateful. You know, uh, I'm not going to say their culture is better than our culture, okay? Because uh, that would be wrong. All cultures need to be sieved through the heavenly culture. And Moses is about to come to a place where he is going to declare statements in Exodus chapter 20 that would shape hundreds of cultures all around this globe over the thousands of years to come, the Ten Commandments. Only in recent times have we abandoned the, the very pit stops of culture given by Moses, through Moses, the Ten Commandments. That was like for him the biblical sieve that he set up. That whatever culture we're from, you can pour it through that sieve. And where it doesn't match up with that sieve, with the pillars of that sieve, it's faulty. And it's true of our culture. When you're thinking, what things in our culture do we embrace and what do we let go of? We need to take our culture, like in a bucket, and pour it through the sieve and let the sieve that Moses established by God's inspiration determine what is right in our culture and what is wrong in our culture. It will be a good sieve. It's a good exercise. Try it. It's a really good exercise. You try putting BBC through there, they can hardly get through the holes. <laughs> I see you agree. Anyway, <laughs> Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. They will prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we do that by adopting that that sieve, adopting that biblical sieve. You know, if we want to be secure, if we really want to be secure, and we really want an identity in this world, we need to see who we are in heaven's sieve and in heaven's culture and in the Bible's truth. The truth of the Bible will tell us who we are and how to be secure as we encounter that truth. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on. <laughs> I'm still on the background, sorry. <laughs> uh, there's some verses I wanted us to read together. I, I just think they're, they're fantastic verses that describe Moses. I think you've got them on the screen behind me. Numbers 12, verse 3. Just, just, just consider the man that we're dealing with, Moses. Now, the man Moses was very humble more than any other man. Exodus 33, by the way, he's one of the greatest leaders that ever lived, but that's his one verse, his summary of him. Exodus 33, verse 11, the Lord spoke with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 13, I know it's making the the backhand point here, but, uh, but it does say within those verses, we are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face. He used to put a veil over his face because when he had been in the presence of God, he was so covered in glory, you couldn't look at him without falling down. And so they had to put the veil over to stop people from being overwhelmed by the glory coming off his face. You might think, well, that, yeah, that's Moses. You do, it, it has happened here too. 
One of the first uh, biographies I ever read was Charles Grandison Finney. Have you ever heard of that man? If you've never heard of him, look him up. Charles Grandison Finney. And uh, Finney was an evangelist. And uh, this man uh, was renowned for the glory of God coming upon him when he spoke. On one occasion in his uh, biography, it says that he walked into a factory. He'd gone there to preach in the lunchtime. And as he walked through the factory, people fell at their machines on the ground. He hadn't said a word. It was just the glory of God that accompanied who God was making him. And then uh, Mark 9, verse 4. You know, Jesus chose two Old Testament characters to meet with on the Mount of Transfiguration. Who did he choose? Elijah appeared to them along with Moses. And they were having a conversation with Jesus. This is the man, Moses. And then Deuteronomy 33 tells us again and again, God says to Moses, you, uh, pointing at him personally, you have found favor in my sight. I've known you personally by name. This is God speaking, not Moses speaking. Hallelujah. God wants more intimacy with you and me in our discipleship walk. We're not meant to put Moses on some pedestal. We're meant through the new covenant to be in a relationship with God. We're actually, it becomes distinctive in who we are, what we do, and how we practice our lives. I want to just quickly take us through things that can shape us from looking at Moses' life and looking especially at this chapter, just this chapter. There are other things too, but we're just taking this chapter. Number one, the power of testimony. The power of testimony. When we talk about what God's done in our lives, it changes us and the hearers. You know, if we believe in our hearts and confess with our lips, Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. The more we can talk about what God's done in our lives, the better it is for you. That's why we want the microphone here. So you can come up and tell us, what's God done in your life this week? We want to hear it. It puts truth into us about who God is, and it reinforces the truth in you when you share it. Hallelujah. And as Moses shared across that relationship of father-in-law, son-in-law, so God's uh, greatness was, was impacting this, uh, this priest of Midian, most likely a pagan priest, <laughs> such that he got a truth revelation. And in his truth revelation, he declared, now I know that your God is much greater than my God's. He's greater than all the gods of the earth. And as he made his declaration, his testimony, his thanks, so the elders gathered and they did a sacrifice and they experienced the presence of God upon their meeting, preparing them for the next chapters, for the rest of Exodus, where Moses receives these instructions from God. The power of testimony. If you want to change, talk about what God's doing in your life. And what he's done for others to declare the greatness of God. And it will change you too. Number two. Another thing about Moses is uh, 
Moses had a glimpse of eternity. I know this by the names of his children. His children, Gershom, that he was a foreigner there. And we read in Hebrews 11 that Moses was looking ahead for his reward. We read that he was welcome in eternity as he lived on the earth. You know, we should be like nomads. You can go to these people that, uh, uh, that we go to as a charity, Life Bridging Works, uh, who, who live in southern Sudan, and you can meet an old man there who's sort of wearing hardly anything. We won't go into that. And uh, he lives in a house that uh, when you go in it, actually you can hardly fit in it. There's no furniture in it. He sleeps on the ground on a mat. To get into it, you go through a little tunnel that goes inside. And, uh, and he looks the poorest man on earth. But you'll be surprised, he isn't. <laughs> He's a nomad. He's got thousands of cattle. He's as rich as they come. But actually, he's made his life, he's designed his life around his function on earth. He's a nomad. So you don't have wardrobes. We lifted the wardrobe. I tell you, I had a bad back ever since. He didn't take his library. I mean, uh, uh, it's ridiculous. He had no library. You know, he's got nothing to move, just a mat under his arm, and he's off for his thousands of cattle. Where are you connected? What are you thinking about? What do you dream about? How often do you check the bank balance? My age group. <laughs> what are you worried about? Let's live for eternity as a church. As Anna said earlier, making disciples who make disciples. That's our main function now that we're Christ's. And we should organize our life around the function. The things that we love will determine who we are and how we function in God's purposes. I want us to read uh, a verse, very important verse, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. If we could read that together, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. This was the centerpiece of Paul's life, how he lived his life. And he was reminding these people, this is what life is about now for us who are followers of Jesus. Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. It's the centerpiece of this book. He says, now to him... Oh, I've got the wrong verse, sorry. <laughs> I'm in Ephesians, that's why. Philippians 3. I thought that was strange. Philippians 3, 20. He says... But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven living on the earth, just passing through, just passing through. Don't get too attached because you're leaving this, going to eternity. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If we can just get hold of this. You know, Anna got the children to stand on their chairs. I was going to get you to stand on your chair. And I was going to say, you know, Christ could come even now. 
even before we finish, in fact, it would be very appropriate, he could come before I finish. I was going to get you all to stand on your chair and to jump off your chair and see if Christ comes between the time when you're standing on the chair and you land, because it would actually mean you'd be closer. <laughs> be less distance to beam you up, you know? So actually, you know, uh, but, you know, um, we need to live like that. You know, I think we're distracted. No, I do mean we. I don't mean you. I mean we. We are distracted. When you're moving house, you get very distracted. Because actually, if you preach this message, just this part of the message, in a poverty culture, they'll be swinging from the rafters. They'll be weeping on the floor. They'll be jumping with joy in the aisles. Because they haven't got the attachments that we've cut. They say, look, Lord, please don't come next week. I've got a holiday booked. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. <laughs> Jesus, come soon. In Luke 11, verse 2, we, we read that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. And quite rightly, we refer to it as, we want the kingdom of God to be lived out here where we are with our families, friends, and neighborhood. Yes, that's a right interpretation of that verse, but there's a double interpretation here. It does also mean we're praying, come quickly, Jesus, your kingdom come, come and end this life on earth. And bring the new heaven and the new earth and let's have the kingdom of God in full. That's also what it means. It's welcome in eternity. But in the distance. Okay. Life is a temporary assignment. That's what Rick Warren says. Life is a temporary assignment preparing us for eternity. I love that phrase that he uses. Um, I've got a friend called uh, Nicholas lives in the uh, west of Uganda. Uh, he was a real pirate, a real sparky, fiery African church leader. And, um, and there's this backpacker arrived. We were talking together, and this backpacker arrived. She was a, a young lady, must have been about 22, 23. She got her backpacker walking the world. And, uh, she, you know, the Renzori Mountains, you could see them from where we were. And she, she got to this place where we were, and she said to me, she said, um, is it safe to go down this road towards the Renzori Mountains? Is it safe? I said, I have no idea. Uh, you better talk to a local. Uh, Nicholas is here. Nicholas is rubbing his hands with glee already. Over she comes. He says, is, she says, is it safe to walk down this road to the Renzori Mountains? And so uh, he said to her, do you know Jesus? Have you experienced Jesus in your life? Do you know his forgiveness? Do you have a relationship with him? Are you looking forward to spending eternity with him? She said, no, 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 no. I know you have to do that. But all I want to know is, is it safe to walk down that road? And, uh, and he said, look, you need to know Jesus Christ. Jesus died for you. He really preached the gospel to her. And then she interrupted him. Look, I don't need to know that. I just need to know, is it safe? To which he answered, it's never safe if you don't know Jesus. <laughs> I thought, yes. That's right. Hallelujah. Number three, encountering God. Encou I'm coming to the best one, the last one, okay. Encountering God. What can change your life forever is encountering God. This morning I'd encourage you, as we come to the end of the meeting today, if you've never had a real dynamic encounter with the Holy Spirit, you need it. You need to meet with him. When I was a young man, um, you know, when I was a young man, I, I was really a double Christian. 
as a half-baked Christian, as a teenager. And I met some real ones at university, <laughs> real Christians. And I wanted it. It wasn't because I didn't want it, really. So I didn't know how to get rid of the insecurities in my life. And in my life, I, I, my father suffered in the war dreadfully, dreadfully. It traumatized him. He didn't know how to be a father after suffering the war. And he didn't know how to relate to me, neither me to him. We didn't like each other, and we didn't get on at all. That made me a pretty insecure guy, even though I knew Jesus. But I didn't like this two-faced life. So one night, I went to my room in my digs. I had my own room. I knelt on the floor. I said, God, I need to meet with you. If you don't meet with me tonight, I'm packing in. I can't live with the guilt. I can't live with the with the topsy-turvy Christian life, I need to meet with you. If you don't meet me tonight, I remember I did say this, if you don't meet with me tonight, I'm packing it in. I can't continue being half-baked in my Christian life. God came into that room, just like Moses in the burning bush, if you like, it's that type of thing. He came into the room. He overwhelmed me. His hand was in my back even though you couldn't see him. And he was pushing me on the floor face down. And do you know the only word I could keep saying, the word I'd never said to that time? Father, Father, Daddy, Abba, Father, Father, Father. I discovered in that room by the power of the Holy Spirit who my father was. It's God himself. Do you know that? Do you know that? Because when you know that, it will define you. It will define what you do with your life and how you live your life. It will give you that joy in worship. That sense of being in the presence of the Father. Moses had a security of having had that encounter with God which defined his life. I ran a, a new members course in the last church. And uh, there's a guy there. We went around giving testimonies. I wanted everyone to give their testimony. And it got to Cliff. And, uh, and Cliff started telling a story. It went on and on and on, a bit like this preach. went on and on and on. And, uh, and he never got to meeting with God in the thing. I said, by the way, have you ever met with God? He said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. He's <laughs> a really nice guy, by the way. I said, let's have a coffee in Costa Coffee the next day. We went to Costa Coffee the next morning. And over the coffee time, I explained to him what it means to know Jesus personally. There and then in Costa Coffee, he gave his life to Christ, and he encountered God. He came out to Africa, didn't he? <laughs> Even though his health really shouldn't have allowed him. It changed his life completely. An encounter with God. But we need daily encounters with God. We need encounters in the Word. I needed to ask you this question, because there's another type of person I want to respond today, okay, for, you, for the glory of God, not because I don't need people to respond. God wants to, to work in your life. Have you given up meeting with God? Are you meeting with God on your own? That will define you. Your encounter with God will define who you are. Are you meeting in the Word every day? Yes, every day. Reading some verses, praying, seeking God, allowing those verses to mold your life and shape your life. Are you doing that? You know, I love my wife. She's always embarrassed when I say this publicly like this, but I love my wife. I can't get enough time with her. 
What's it like with God? I just can't get enough time with Jesus. I want more time with him. Eternity in the end. Isn't that going to be uh, wonderful? Now, the point that I think we'll finish on, I'm looking at Anna, I think I need to, don't I? Yes, I do, right, she's nodded, yes. Okay, Anna, sorry. <laughs> Number four, embracing the cross. Embracing the cross. In Hebrews 11, for all the characters described in Hebrews 11, including Moses, Moses hasn't yet seen the cross. Or has he? Because he's embraced the cross, it says. He chose the reproach of Christ. So he chose the cross, even before the cross has happened yet. He also celebrated the Passover, precursoring the cross, preparing the way for the cross. For Moses, the cross was a very real thing. It was a daily experience. He embraced the cross in his life. Do you think he really wanted to lead 2.3 million people through a wilderness, grumbling and complaining and always going on at him? Do you think he really wanted to do that with his life? Think he was choosing the rosy life? I don't think so. But he embraced the cross. There's a cross for you to embrace. If you embrace the cross, the worship this morning was staggering, wasn't it? Where did we start in the worship? We started at the cross. We embraced the cross. When we embrace the cross and the resurrection, it transforms even our worship. Well, it can transform your life as well if you can just embrace the cross joyfully, take hold of it, say, God, as Paul said, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul embraced the cross. Jesus said, if any man will come, will be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Have you been to the cross when you sing that song, do you change one word? Do you say, it's all about me, Jesus, and all this is for me, for my glory and my fame. It's not about you, as if I should do things your way. I alone am God, and you surrender to my ways. Is that right? It's our culture. Sorry. But it is. Embrace the cross. It will change your whole joy in life. Well, I've spent too long. <laughs> I've spent too long on that. I believe that Moses embraced the cross in his response to Jethro. Jethro came to him and said, You are wrong. He's talking to one of the greatest leaders that's ever lived. I mean, what could Moses, if he wasn't a cross man, interpreting cross correctly there, what could he have done? He could have said, who do you think you are? I am a big leader. A big leader. Or he could have said to him, don't you know that I speak to God face to face? If he wanted to tell me that, he would have told me face to face. What do you think you are telling me that? Or he could have said, you've only been here one day. I reckon you only discovered God was God yesterday. 
And now you're telling me what to do with 2.3 million people. Buzz off. No. He embraced it. And he did it. To the letter. Because he'd embraced the cross. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. This a moment, you know, this chapter was a stop take for Moses before he goes to get the Ten Commandments. It's a review of his life. He's come back to the place where he met God first. For the last 40 years of his life, that's what's going to happen. This is a stop take for you. Just for a moment. Before God today. I'm so excited to be in this church. Honestly, I'm already so blessed. I'm not just saying this because of Simon and Anna. It's because of you. What a beautiful church you are. What a beautiful church. But God wants to take you further. Do you need an encounter with God this morning? To define you. Do you need the forgiveness of God because you've plateaued? You're no longer meeting with him day by day in the word. Do you need to confess? Actually, I never got over that criticism. <laughs> and it bugs me. Time to leave it at the cross today. Take a moment. Are you ready to meet with God? In this last song, we've got people who can pray with you. We'd like you to come forward. To my right, your left. For the Lord. For what he's doing in this place. He wants to transform this town. And he wants to use you. I'm going to pray for you. And then hand over. Jesus, thank you for this chapter. Do a stock take on my life. I don't want to love you less today than I did some time ago. I want to love you more today than I did before. I've not come here to retire. I've come here to refire. I ask you to refire me today. Keep my eyes on heaven and on eternity and my heart on taking as many people with me as I can. May you come upon us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.